0: Welcome to the MMA Formula podcast. Here's your host, Wim De Been a while, I know, guys. I've, I've been busy. Um, I'm self-employed, as I explained before. So there's uh, there's always a lot of stuff going on, running several businesses actually. So it's been hard to uh, to keep everything going at the same time, which meant that MMA Formula had to take a little bit of a backseat uh, for the last few months. Um, so I'm trying to get back into the swing of things and watched UFC 280 yesterday. It was it was a fun card um, overall. Some surprises, some good stuff, some bad stuff, and I'll, and I'll go over that. Um, let's let's look at the first fight of the main card. I'm only going to look at the main cards, because um, I, I like to focus on those. Caitlin Shukagian versus Manon Fiorot. That wasn't the most impressive fight from from either woman. I mean. I'm not a huge fan of Chukagian. There's nothing wrong with her in, in in any way, but mostly because she throws a lot of volume. But I don't think she packs enough punch. Uh, if she would focus a little bit more on on just having a little bit more power in her punches and kicks, then then she would get a lot further, in my opinion. So we're looking here at the stats from uh, from the UFC website itself, and you can see that. She had um, budget strikes, total strikes, was about 76 versus 99 for for opponent, uh, Fioro. Here's the thing. When, when you look at the fight itself, it, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of, especially punches, especially from, from Caitlyn, but not that much land. And when it does, it doesn't really do any damage. I mean, look at Manon's face afterwards. She, she's not damaged at all. And in the same, it's unfortunately true for Manon, because she also didn't land all that all that many uh, many strikes with significant power. She's, she's able to do better. I've seen her fight and, and hit harder and land shots. But she seemed unwilling to close the distance when she had ample opportunity to do so. Where She seemed to be a little bit too impressed by Shukagian's offense, who would throw a bunch of straight punches, uh, follow up with a kick or whatever. Firo could have easily stepped in on that, countered, and so on. So, and and that's my main gripe with this fight is it felt kind of like a more like a sparring session than than actually a a real fight with a lot of impact and a lot of significant strikes. So, not that impressed. The biggest issue I saw with Firo is she fights as a softball. She continuously moved to her left side. That puts her square in the line of sight of Shukagian's power side, which is a little bit of an irony to call her uh, her rear side a power side, because even if she uses it, it's not that powerful in my opinion. Um, but regardless, tactically speaking, Fiorou made just a huge mistake throughout the whole fight, always moving to her left. It, it's not absolute, but a, a, a good standard way of fighting as a southpaw is when you use your lead foot to always be at the outside of the lead foot of your opponent. That gives you the the better angle. It keeps you safer and it gives you a better angle to use your own power side. Furo hardly ever did that. I even saw her steps just square in the middle uh, on on the center line straight in the middle um, at again in the middle of both her feet which meant that she's just just begging to get punched in the face so i have no idea why Fiora did that i also have no idea why the coaches didn't tell us just just stop god damn it walking towards your left go towards your right they didn't do that you remember uh when we when we had um McGregor fighting Eddie Alvarez Eddie afterwards said i have no idea why i fucked up like that because uh, i was supposed to move to my right and I always move to my left, walking into punches. I have no idea why I fucked up because we we, we planned on moving to, on, you know, using that angle and stepping to the right. So maybe that, that's what happens, that for some reason, Fiora just decided, okay, I'm, I'm just you know, not going to use my advantage um, and fight in a tactically pretty stupid manner. But regardless, she got the win. So, you know, good for her. Um, I hope to see better of her again, I'm not a huge fan. And when I say not a huge fan, I'm always talking about technique and, and just the fighting skill, never as a person. I don't know her, she seems like a nice girl, but I have no idea. So it's always about, about the fighters themselves and what they do in the octagon, as opposed to the other stuff. So that's very short about this first fight. Uh, again, it wasn't, wasn't that great of a fight, but you know, whatever. Moving on to Benil Dariush versus Matthias Gamrod. Um, overall, I think de- deserved victory. Um Dariush has a little bit of a of a, of a dangerous fighting style in which that he likes to lean forward. It's heavy on that lead foot often. And that that is a danger not only to get punched in the face, obviously, and kicked, but also that the guy like Gamrot who who showed I mean, we, we know that he's excellent on the ground, obviously, but um, it was uh, pretty interesting how he, he, he would shoot in and, and go for takedowns and um, was, you know, pretty successful at that. I mean, uh, I'm looking here at the stats for takedowns, um, didn't get to use, do a lot of submissions, attempts at all, uh, but, you know, he, he did it quite well, so... I was in, it was for me. It was interesting to see how how Darius would would handle that, and and he handled it well. I mean, if we can, if, we, if you look at the fight, it, he he managed the the ground game of of Gambret quite well. So in that regard, I would say you know it's an excellent victory for him. I think the most important aspect is obviously you know total strikes. He he threw uh, sixty seven versus thirty eight. That said, Gamrod had four takedowns. But then if you go round by round, you'll see that, you know, it's it's um, it becomes a little bit more of the advantage for Dariush. When I mean, you see it for the second round, he got 32 strikes uh, versus 15 and a one takedown. Um, but Dariush had 31 significant strikes. And, and again, we can argue about the way that UFC scores, these, uh, these kind of things, I'm not, I'm not gonna argue about that. Um, I have my own opinions about how the judges score, and I will, we'll get to that when we get to the Peter Jan fight. But the point is that this kind of stuff is, is um, you know, a little bit open to interpretation. It shouldn't be, but it is. So then when you look at the third round, you see that Darius has 22 strikes versus 10, and then only one takedown by Kamrod, and 19 significant strikes for Darius versus 9 and that, that famous, you know, by now, knockdown. That knockdown was a thing of beauty. You could see that Gambrop was trying to get in, get close and, and looking for an opening, and you could see that Darius was actually just waiting for him, and then he showed him the uppercut a little bit, did a little bit of a feint, and then just timed it perfectly, and flash knockdown. Gambrop is, uh, <laughs> he's a badass motherfucker. I mean, he got up right away. He, He was down but you know if you if you've been hit by these kind of flash knockdowns you're out like a light um and typically you get you you're just back to yourself immediately Uh, that's what it looked like to me that he just he ate the punch he got right back up again and immediately went back to working so really excellent fight um i wouldn't say that you know gamrod is the loser here of the fight in the sense that he didn't get beat up at all their um, use couldn't really, except for that one knockdown. I mean, threatened him tremendously, in my opinion. Um, he didn't land that many strikes over the full fight. I mean, he landed 59 strikes, significant strikes um, throughout the whole fight versus the 33 for Gamrot. That's that's not huge uh, when it goes to volume. And Gamrot got to do a bunch of takedowns and and try his best to get it to the ground and and score from there. It wasn't successful, but it did it. Um, I like the striking, was pretty good as well, he just didn't use that much of it, given the focus on the ground game. So, that's pretty much it. Again, not the best fight, not the worst fight, but, you know, deserved win for Darius. no complaints there. And then, we get to Peter Jan versus Sean O'Malley. Um, I was watching it with my kids yesterday, and, and we were like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> Peter Jan's getting robbed. That was my first impression. Um, I I rewatched the fight and looked at the scorecards and and we're going to go over this this a little bit. So this is the official um, scorecard for um, the the official statistics from the UFC. So let's look at the full fight first. So 97 versus 91 strikes for uh, Sean, six takedowns versus zero takedowns for Sean, and then we have 58 significant strikes for Peter and 84 for Sean O'Malley. So when you look at it overall, okay, that gives you some big picture, but we have to look at round by round. So if you go to round one, so the, this, the total strikes is pretty even 28 versus 23, but you got one takedown for Peter Jan. Then you've got significant strikes, 19 versus 23. So that's pretty close. So I would give that that first day, first round to Peter. Because he, there's only four less significant strikes, but there is one additional takedown. So then we get back to how do judges score, this kind of stuff. I mean, don't get me started. Don't get me started. But but I think that's, that's, that is one critical part of um, where the problems arise. So we're moving on to round number two. 45 strikes for Jan, 22 for Sean O'Malley, three takedowns for Jan, and 24 significant strikes remember that round? There's no discussion. Jan won that round. There's, there's If you think he didn't, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you, but you were watching a different fight than I did. So we skip ahead to round number three, and there it gets interesting. So you've got 24 st- total strikes from Jan and 46 from Sean O'Malley. So that's almost twice as many total strikes. So the volume is definitely there. Peter did uh, I should say Piotr, but, uh, you know, I'm going to say we use Peter because that was most people use now. Um, he got two takedowns and he didn't get very far with, you know, submissions or anything. But I thought it had overall, when it, whenever he went to the ground, I mean, it was clear that he was dominating. But that apparently the judges don't care about that uh, in this fight. But when you look at significant strikes, you see that uh, Jan only had 15 and Sean O'Malley had 40. So that's round three. So when you look at the total number of significant strikes and then against that, there's two takedowns, I can see why they would give him that round, which means that it boils down to, I mean, round number two, I don't think anybody can say that that O'Malley won that one. So he comes back to round number one. And then we look at the volume is in Jan's favor, takedowns in Jan's favor and then significant strikes are in O'Malley's favor, but only by four strikes. So that's not a huge advantage. If those four punches, I guess, because uh, O'Malley didn't kick all that much, if they count those four punches uh, higher, they, they they give them a higher value than the takedown, the one takedown, okay, okay, that's it, I disagree, but we can argue about how the rules should be how they should be counted, uh, how the, the, the points should be distributed, and so on. I'm not gonna Again, this, this is an endless discussion in MMA circles. I'm not going to go there. Um, overall, uh, and I'm going to write on, on Patreon the, the next article that I'm going to do is about Sean O'Malley, specifically in this fight and the aftermath. I'll just to give you a quick preview, look at what he said after the fight in the interview with DC. Um, you could see it on his face. He was like, but, you know, <laughs> I can't believe I won. He did not look like a winner. He didn't talk like a winner. And he basically said, you know, I could have gone either way. I'm not quite sure. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. And so on. He knows that he did not beat up Peter Jan. And he knows very well that he didn't really have a clear victory here. There's a reason why it became a split decision. Because at least one judge gave it a Jan. So and and I agree with that. If it were me judging, I think I would have given it to Jan. I think the the reason why O'Malley racks up significant strikes and points is that if you look at in what he likes to do, he pumps out that jab repeatedly and he landed it. Now if it lands, do they consider that a significant strike, even if it doesn't back up Peter Jan at all, even if he's totally unfazed by it or he counters? I would I would argue that that's not that much of a significant strike, uh, especially if the next thing Jan does is almost take O'Malley's head off with a counter hook. But again, it all boils down to to looking at uh, how the judges score, use the scoring system and, and how they interpret it. But overall, I think even the, lar- the biggest Sean O'Malley fan is going to have a hard time actually claiming that O'Malley soundly, beat peter jan he won a victory on points but there was no there was no beat down that didn't happen so um a lot of people are upset i mean just go go on social media you'll see everybody <laughs> getting all upset about about this fight um i think it's sad in the sense that i like jan as a striker uh obviously wrestling as well and, and he did the step and trip that i like to do um, when I, when I was uh, in my prime, I'm an old man now, but um, it's w- one of my favorite moves. And my students still hate hate me for it when I do it on them. But he, as a striker, I mean, he's really good. The thing mostly is that, and, and, and again, I'll get to that when in my Patreon article, when O'Malley basically admitted that he's, that's the first time he's been hurt like that. And then we get to tall man syndrome, of you know, dominant advantage syndrome, which I'll explain in the article. So we'll see what happens next. I mean, I don't know where, where where Jan goes from here. It's going to be interesting to see how who they're gonna match him up with next. No idea. Will O'Malley get a title shot out of this because basically Peter Jan's uh, the, the number two guy in the division, uh, that would be crazy, I'd say, but you know, it's the UFC, so anything is possible. Who the hell knows? Um, despite everything that I just said about O'Malley, I'm, I mean, he's not a bad fighter at all. I'm going to do, again, I'm going to go deeper into all that in the Patreon article uh, about, you know, he's, he's very tall for his division. He's, uh, what was it that they said um, before the fight, like the second tallest guy in the division? That always skews what somebody shows when they fight, if they've got a dominant advantage. And um, I think that's, this is the first real test. And he passed because he won the fight. So we can't argue with that. Uh, and whether you agree with the, with the judges or not, doesn't matter at this stage, you know, it's his record is that he won against Peter Jan. Um, but also, I also wouldn't say that Jan beat him up. I mean, he clearly, in my opinion, dominated throughout the fight. O'Malley was only able to back him up a few times and, and and then when Jan could cut, obviously the, the cut bothered him tremendously. But um, he he wasn't able to push push Jan back very often and uh, or for a long time. And Jan was constantly threatening. And if he landed something, it, it tended to be hard, uh, pretty hard shots. I mean, the the very nice uh, left hand feint and then left body kick that Jan threw. You could see O'Malley was hurt by that. So. Aside from a few shots, uh, it it never looked like O'Malley was threatening that much. Um, Again, he landed and and he had a few shots that landed well and that you could see that Jan was affected by them, but it didn't back him up so that he stopped, you know, coming forward, which meant that the threat was always there. So the forward pressure that O'Malley was was feeling from Jan was pretty much constant, barring a few exceptions. He handled it well, but he had a rough time this could have ended very, very differently. So we'll see uh, how, how that goes, um, which brings us to the next fight, the, the Bantamweight title about huge disappointment for everybody. Uh, I mean, look, uh, nobody wants to win a belt like that. I mean, Sterling is a controversial figure a little bit because of the way he got the belt against, a, you know, because of, the, of a DQ by Jan, that stupid needed of the underground opponent. I mean, it, okay, it happens, but that's that you don't want to win a belt like that. And this year, the big return of TJ Dillashaw and, and it ends like that but with, with this injury right away in the beginning of the round, of the first round. You don't want to win a title like that. Now, Sterling is is very cognizant of the fact that UFC is an entertainment company and not just a sport, but it's about entertainment. So, in the post fight interview, we were calling out. Pretty much everybody <laughs> and uh, and you know playing playing the heel playing the villain and doing playing that role and you know that that's you know that's fine i mean he can do that uh, he's trying to get the hype going he's trying to get people excited about him as a champ and um you know try to further his career and, and that's that's all fine that that's how the big game is played nowadays but nobody can say that this was the best fight ever quite on the contrary so you know good for Sterling he, he he's got the belt it's fine but <laughs> it's, it's not I mean this fight will not go down in history as one of the best fights ever what we do have is that the return of Dillashaw and you know the guy's a warrior I mean you could see that You're fighting with a dislocated shoulder um that pops in and out and and Sterling was just beating him up pretty bad at the end I mean he he i'm just checking here 72 landed strikes 72 significant strikes 72 of 148 so that's that's a lot of strikes in in barely barely two rounds mm-hmm. so you could see that that Dillashaw actually he hung in there for as long as he could but you know the the fight was pretty much over in the first what is 10 10 20 seconds after the first takedown. i mean it was kind of hard to see I think, um, you can see that Sterling just went in for the takedown, he he picks up uh, TJ's leg and and, then drives forward, and it looks like when TJ was, he was going to post with his left arm, which which is a bad idea, (laughs) because your whole body weight uh, is going to come into that shoulder, and it looks to me like just before he did that, it was already popping out, but I could be wrong. but at the very least, posting on a shoulder that is injured as somebody takes you down like that is, is a terrible idea. Now, a lot of people still do it and you can get away from it for a long time. But the moment you don't, then you get an instant injury. The fight went on for quite a bit longer. So again, Shaw is clearly a tough guy. He toughed it out and did the best he could, but there was no way he was going to win that that fight anymore. Barring some some freak um, shot or punch or kick, whatever that landed, and would have knocked Sterling out, but Sterling's no beginner either. He he wasn't, wasn't gonna take stupid risks. He did what he had to do to win. Um, again, nobody wants to win like that, not even Sterling. But you know, you obviously he can't give up either and say like, let's do let's let's do it uh, do it again when you're when you're healed up. I mean, the fight's on, so you gotta finish the fight. Now. Delishaw said that he dislocated his shoulder in April and that in fight camp, it dislocated, you know, 20 times. Here's the thing. You know, I understand there's a lot at stake for the guy. He's making his return. He needs to make money because he's a professional fighter. So he's got to earn an income. And he ended up uh, with, a, with, a, with a fucked up shoulder throughout his tra- training camp. And it was continuously popping out. Now, if your shoulder pops in and out 20 times, right, that's not a good thing. <laughs> Go talk to to uh, an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in shoulders. Go talk to a physical therapist. See what they say about popping your own shoulder in and out. And I, I know for the people who are my age, you know, Mel Gibson in uh, the Little Weapon movies would do it constantly. Yeah, okay, it's a movie. Um, it's not good for your shoulder. The stability of your shoulder joint is compromised. There's a, there was a fight I think it was in one championship recently what is this fighter he pops you know his shoulder pops out and the coach just just you know resets it and, and it pops back in the guy still had to go to the hospital afterwards and get surgery because all the ligaments and all that stuff on the inside uh, is is just messed up so if the has been basically for about half a year training with a compromised shoulder and now he 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 fought with that, immediately popped out, back in again um, after the first round, during the break, but it popped back out right away again, and he got beat up because of that. That shoulder is seriously compromised. Now Dillashaw, he's he's not in the beginning of his career. So this kind of stuff, typically when you want to heal it up correctly, takes a while. It takes a lot of therapy, it takes a lot of time to get a fully recovered shoulder if that is even possible. I mean, I had shoulder surgery um, because of um, I tore the, the labrum uh, and uh, the, one of the rotator cuff muscles. And that's that's took about six months to get back to basically being able to hit with full power. I could have done it sooner, but that, that would have been running a risk. Does Drischal have six months to fully heal up his shoulder? I'm guessing he thinks he doesn't. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing he's he's kind of fucked now. Now can he come back? Of course. I mean, there's there's a lot of excellent therapy and um, medicine has gone a long way. Specifically, sports medicine has gone a long way in handling these injuries. But he's you know he he already had shoulder surgery. So as my surgeon told me when I asked you know when can I start punching again? And he's like ah punching ah boxing and he was like. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, give it, give it another month, which uh, I, I, did a, I waited a little bit longer than a month. Actually, I waited two months longer to be sure that it would heal up because I, I didn't want to have a second surgery. And he said, you know, you have to understand that you don't have, an, have a new shoulder. You've got a patched up shoulder. So it is weaker than it was before. And that's what Dillashaw has now. He has a shoulder that is weaker than before because of, of those dislocations so we'll see where it goes from here um again sad for the guy would have been nice to see how that fight would have gone uh, you know the Dil- show has this really uh specific style of stand-up uh, with a lot of with a lot of footwork and trying to create angles and so on i thought that sterling looked didn't look bad at all in the few exchanges that they had because most of, most of the time it uh, the fight was on the ground but we'll never know I mean, we'll never know. Will Dillashaw be able to get a second shot at Sterling? I have no idea. I think it's not in the immediate future. And again, Sterling called out other people, so um, he's he's going to try to defend this belt against somebody else. So, in in realistically speaking, uh, you never know with the UFC because they, they've done crazy shit before. But realistically speaking, I think Dillashaw is is might get a shot in a year's time, um, which means you know that's a lot of lost time for him. So we'll see. Getting to the main main event, Charles Oliveira versus Islam Mahashev. A lot of people were <laughs> riding on the hype train, as they said it. That um, were were riding against the hype train of Mahashev. They said Oliveira was gonna demolish him. A lot of people were on Islam's side and saying like, no no no, you have no idea, you know that. The, the Dagestani wrestling is so powerful and they're gonna, <laughs> he's, he's going to destroy Oliver on the ground. And everyone's like, no, no, no. Oliver is so dangerous on the ground. In his guard, he's so dangerous and uh, he fights excellently for his back, blah, blah, blah. i like, you know, I competed against Dagestani guys uh, um, way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and, and I competed in, in Sancho. I fought the, the world champ three times and you, I, afterwards, many years later, Virtually, recently when we basically connected again via social media, turns out that he was, I thought he was Russian. No, he's from Dagestan. So I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense now that you're such a tough son of a bitch. But I mean, anyway, uh, nothing but respect for my, uh, my former nemesis. But back to the fight. What did we see? Um, you could see that Islam made a lot of progress in striking. That was clear. I mean, um, he he didn't have to back up for Oliveira at all. He tactically withdrew to use footwork well to manage distance. But in the very f- first round, I think it was that at about 10 seconds, he just throws this, this excellent left straight punch right on the, on the nose of Oliveira. He just lands that left straight. And that put Charles on notice. And okay, can't just, you know, bum rush this guy and, and beat him up. He tried, but that was the first warning. he got that, okay, in the striking department, you're not going to have an easy fight. So that's the first thing. Second thing, it goes to the ground. So again, Oliveira does what he always does. He immediately, immediately, you know, puts you in his guard and he attacks from He tries to attack from there. Now he tried several times and here we can see, again, the, the, the Dagestan wrestling, the top control that these guys have, the pressure, the control over the opponent. It's just I mean Marshav did an excellent job there. There's there's no discussion. He there's there's not, not really a single attempt that Olivera could could have have that he did actually that made it dangerous. There wasn't a single time that you could see that Olivera was actually um getting further into a submission or anything else that that Islam was actually in danger. He, he tried a few times, but it didn't go far. There was just the, the, the upkick. That was this one I mean, landed, but okay. It looked again like um, Islam saw all the, the, the sort of big flash in front of his eyes and uh, saw maybe a little bit of birds tweeting around his head uh, from the impact, but he immediately got back to beating up Charles and fighting him. So there was nothing there. So I think it's clear that Oliveira on the ground was being managed by Mahershev very, very clearly. There's no discussion now. That was the, the story of, of round one. Um, when you go to round two. So you could see that. Charles was a lot more careful. There was there were several instances when you could see that normally he likes to go forward and pressure that he was a lot more tentative. I think that was, goes back to that very first round, the, in the first ten, the second, 10 seconds, he gets this left straight, just square in the face, that he realizes that, okay, um, I, I can't just bum rush this guy, I can't just advance and expect him to to back up, because he's not doing that. Mahesh have several times actually countered quite well, a little bit clumsy sometimes, especially in, in the first round, but... Um, the power was definitely there, the speed was there, and Oliveira couldn't just walk forward and expect to, to be able to, to bully Islam uh, into backing up. That wasn't working. If you also look at the times that they spent in a uh, in high clinch, so uh, Oliveira kind of prefers this, this modified Muay Thai clinch. Um, even there, he didn't get far. Islam actually my opinion typically controlled that quite well and was never really in danger and typically that's where you see Oliveira just beating people up as well when it takes them in into a modified tie clinch and and works from there and, and keeps putting the pressure on he didn't manage to do that either then we get to obviously to the end um Oliveira opened the fight with that you know jumping scissor kick uh he, he it looked to me like he was trying to do that again, he didn't get to extend the, the right leg, it looked like more like a half knee, half kick, but maybe he was going for the kick, I don't know. Regardless, the range was off, he was too close. If you look at him, as he jumps up to do the kick, you will see that Islam's uh, fist is, is pretty much touching his chest, that's really close. The biggest disadvantage of jumping techniques is that you have to land. And only when you land are you truly able to defend yourself again. You can try to shell up and cover up as you're, you know, sailing through the air and, and about to hit the ground. But you can't really move away from the path that you're on. As soon as you clear the air, clear the ground and you're up in the air, there's a path back to Earth, and you will eventually have your feet on the ground again in a specific spot you can't really change that all that much where you land and if you're close to the guy as olivera was here and you do that and he has the opportunity to counter you he, he can see where you're gonna land now you can see that olivera's left hand was relatively high but it wasn't high enough that counter hook that islam threw was just really a thing of beauty it landed perfect Oliveira on his ass and and that it was pretty much over. Uh, uh a little while later so the joke was was well done i mean you could see that that it immediately as Marchev went went to the ground with charles he uh he spotted the opening immediately and immediately tried to pass all the way over to the side getting out of that half guard and and, and you know increase the, the the pressure on charles and you could see as soon as that second leg cleared and he was fully over to the side um I mean, Marcev's pressure must have been enormous because Charles stabbed right away. He knew he didn't, he couldn't get out. So I think it's clear now. <laughs> it was fun to see uh, Habib come uh, into uh, into the cage and uh, and uh, explain the next plan they have. Um, first, what's going to happen with Oliveira? I mean, he he deserves a title defense. i a rematch, sorry. So I'm I'm thinking that Islam should defend his title against Charles again. The guy deserves it. Whatever you think of him, I mean, he's uh, he's been pretty dominant in the weight class. So I would I would definitely want to see this this uh this happen again. Uh, now that Oliveira knows that he can't just bully Marcev, and, and he might adapt his tactics a little bit to that. But it looks like we're gonna see a, a it's gonna be a super fight with Islam versus Volkanovski. Um, I mean. People have talked about yeah, yeah, Volkanov at what weight are they going to do that dude look up Fokenoski when he was uh, playing uh, playing rugby I mean that guy was <laughs> jacked he was huge for his size so it's not going to be all that difficult I think for him to bulk up and and, and add some mass to to his frame it's, he's been there before he he should be able to do it again um I'm assuming that he's going to do it clean. I'm assuming that he's not going to take all, uh, all the Mexican supplements that are out there. Uh, let's assume that. Uh, but, I mean, he, he, he has been really big before, mostly muscle. Uh, it should be doable for him to get, go up in weight class and do that in a, in a sound way so that he retain, re- retains his skills, his speed, and so on. That should be possible. So we'll see when, if and when that happens, because again, this is UFC, so anything can happen. The craziest stuff happens, but I think that Uncle Dana is gonna want to, is gonna want to have a fight like that. I mean, uh, that this is too good to to pass up on. I think the fans definitely want to see that. And um, UFC for the last few years has done a bunch of those those super fights, uh, as they like to call them. Um, I mean, Remember the bad motherfucker belt, um with with um uh with Nate Diaz and uh what's his face? Street Jesus. Oh shit no, I can't remember the name anymore guys I'm tired. It's been a long day. Um anyway the point is that the UFC likes to do these kind of fights so I, I, w- I would be surprised if it didn't happen. And we'll see then. I mean um uh, has proven that uh, over and over again that the difference in in reach doesn't seem to be that much of a problem for him. Um, he's been on the ground with Ortega, who's, who's a pretty damn good uh, ground, ground specialist. And he's been in, in, in submissions that people think, like, he's never getting out of that, and he got out of it. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I don't think he's faced a guy um, with the, the wrestling skills and the ground skill that that not has. I don't think he's faced anybody like that. But we'll see. Um, when will that happen? No idea. I think the UFC is definitely going to push that one, but it, it's probably going to be sometime maybe middle of next year or early next year if, if, if they hurry up about it. So we'll see. right well, guys, guess that's it. Um, as always, thanks, thanks for listening. Like, share, subscribe. You can uh, support me on Patreon where there's a bunch of unique content that isn't posted anywhere else. Uh, as I said, I'm going to, the next thing I'm going to do is um, do an article about Sean O'Malley and, um, and the, the reason why it was difficult for him in this fight. And uh, I hope that's one's, that one's going to be useful for everybody there as well. All right, that's it, guys. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the MMA Formula Podcast. For more information, go to www.mmaformula.com.